The sermon reading this morning comes from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34, verses 11 to 24. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land and there they will feed in such rich pastures on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. As for you, my flock, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will judge between one sheep and another and between rams and goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of your pasture with your feet? Is it not enough for you to drink clear water? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? Must my flock feed on what you have trampled and drink what you have muddied with your feet. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says to them. See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you shove with flank and shoulder, butting all the weak sheep with your horns until you have driven them away. I will save my flock, and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be the prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Well, friends, this week is 400 years after last week. It's been a long week. <laughs> uh, this passage that you just heard. Uh, is nearly 400 years after David's final words that we looked at last week. So let me briefly fill in the gap because we're following through the line of David. That's a, a long period of history. David's son Solomon uh, took the throne when David uh, died and he led Israel in a time of flourishing economic and military and political and cultural health. It was just the golden age. Uh, of Israel. And it looked like everything that God had promised to Abraham was finally coming true. God's people were in God's place, enjoying God's blessing under the rule of God's anointed king. That's a great picture. But it wasn't long before Solomon fell to the temptations of his royal position. In direct disobedience to God's commands for a king in Deuteronomy 17, we looked at it about 10 weeks ago, Solomon began stockpiling wealth for himself. He even sent people back to Egypt 
to get some of those nice Egyptian horses for his stables. And he took more and more foreign wives until his home and his heart was full of godless ideas and plans. And tragically, after only a few decades of blessing under David and then Solomon's early years, the Israelites followed their king into unfaithfulness. And the consequences were disastrous. After Solomon's son Rehoboam took the throne, civil war split the nation. The northern tribes kept the name Israel and, uh, and chose a new king called Rehoboam. Now, he wasn't part of the, the line of David at all. And he established new places of worship so that uh, people under his rule didn't have to go down to Jerusalem at all. Now, so the southern tribe, Judah, kept Jerusalem and the temple and David's kingly line. But as we move into the book of 1 and 2 Kings, uh, it records the downward spiral of both Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And in the following 250 years, not one of Israel's kings did what was pleasing in God's eyes. That's longer than the time since European settlement here. Imagine that. Not a single godly leader in that time. And so they were defeated and exiled by the Assyrians in 722 BC, never to return. Judah wasn't much better. I mean, the occasional good king brought some positive reform, but most continued in their rebellion against the God of heaven. And in uh, 597 BC, Judah was also conquered. And over the next 11 years, they were deported in several waves off to the north into the land of Babylon. Imagine the questions on people's hearts and minds as they left the promised land. Why has this happened? Aren't we God's people? Has God rejected us? Will we ever return? Who will rule over us now that our king is dead? What about God's promises to Abraham and his promise to, to David? Has God forgotten us? Into this confusion and despair, Ezekiel began speaking God's word. And friends, as we look at it, let's pray and ask God to help us understand it. Dear Father, thank you for your word and the many examples, both good and bad, of how people responded to you. Uh, so Father, please help us not to repeat the mistakes of your ancient people by delighting in evil and rebelling against you. Instead, help us to be quick to recognize areas of sin in our lives, quick to repent, and quick to seek your forgiveness and quick to follow you. So, Father, as we look at your word, please show us your way. Amen. Now, it's very likely that Ezekiel himself was among the first exiles taken off to Babylon. And from there, about five years later, from there, he delivered the prophetic messages contained in the book that bears his name. And they're a powerful mix of hindsight insight and foresight all three are so valuable hindsight helps us make sense of the past and understand what god has done and why he's done it insight helps us understand ourselves and our present circumstances and how can we can live as god's people now and foresight gives us hope for the future that we can't see but god can reveal 
and it helps us avoid trouble along the way. Now our, our reading today is actually a major turning point in the book as he moves from God's judgment for past sin to a future of hope. The book began with a scathing condemnation of the people for rebelling against God. It was just so obvious by their history. Um, like the ripples going out in a pond, Ezekiel started by targeting the sin in Jerusalem and ended up going out like those ripples, addressing the sins of the nations of the whole world. And what we're seeing in his words is, is a reversal of God's promise to Abraham. Instead of blessing, God's judgment went out to the nations from Jerusalem. And here in chapter 34, he now uses the familiar metaphor of a shepherd to address the leaders of God's people. Kings, prophets, priests. The previous few verses just before what was read sum it up really well. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for the flock, but cared for themselves rather than my flock, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock i will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves i will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them and it's easy to survey the events of history and think oh the assyrians did this and the babylonians did this and you know all this what a sad time for the israelites but what the prophets reveal to us is that in all the events of history is the sovereign hand of God working out his purposes. And at this point in time, his purpose was judgment against the leaders of his people. And it raises two questions that are very important. Who is going to replace these shepherds as leader of God's people? And secondly, how is he going to rescue them? Now, of course, it's so easy for us to jump straight to Jesus at that point, isn't it? But let's get there properly. Uh, what I want to do is, is let's have a look at uh, see what God says to them at that time. Then let's see how it is fulfilled in Jesus and then what it means for us today. Listen to God's answer to his people as the, these questions must be just exploding in their hearts and minds. Uh, it's a good reminder that, that God's salvation is entirely his work motivated by his character. And I remember one of my lecturers in Old Testament exilic prophecy saying these words, note the use of personal pronouns. Well, have a look at the screen. Look at the pronouns, all the I, uh, me, my, those sorts of things. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. The wonderful news for a people who've just been taken as captives, prisoners of war, out of their land. And it keeps getting better. I will pasture them. Where? On the 
mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. This is God's promise to Abraham. It hasn't been forgotten. I will tend them in good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. They will lie down in good grazing land. You're getting the picture that this is supposed to be a good, lovely, delightful, you know, even the, the exiles of the time would be thinking Psalm 23 kind of pictures. It's a picture of abundant blessing again. Down verse 15, I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down. It's a picture of complete peace. And, and security. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. This is a monumental search and rescue mission that God has announced through Ezekiel. God will replace the wicked leaders of Israel with himself. This is the same God that the people have been ignoring and rebelling against for centuries, literally. And he's going to save them. It's so unexpected. I mean, I found it hard to illustrate. This is about the best I could do. It's kind of like um, you know, the underage, degrade cricket team in uh, Warilla has been bickering with each other and they've got a lousy coach and half of them don't even turn up for the game. So Cricket Australia has decided we're going to send in Steve Smith to be their coach. <laughs> or something like that, only on a much grander scale. You just have to substitute for your own favourite sport or something like that. Why is God being so unbelievably gracious to them? Well, there's only one reason. It's not because they deserve it. They don't. It's not because they've been faithful to him. They haven't. It's because... He is faithful. He is faithful to the promises he has made to them. He will rescue them. He will heal them. He will gather them. He will bring them back to their land and bless them with peace and abundance, even though they have offered nothing but sin. That's actually the consistent message of the Bible, isn't it? That God reaches out with grace and compassion to sinful people. I think Romans 5.8 you know, sums it up as well as any verse in the Bible. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And friends, we do well to remember that. What's your picture of perfect paradise? Ezekiel just painted this wonderful picture in their minds. What's your picture of perfect paradise? A deserted tropical beach? Got some suggestions on the screen there. A hammock and a good book. <laughs> Perhaps for you it's, it's got more to do with who you're with. You know, being surrounded by people you love. Friends, whatever your picture of paradise is, if it leaves God out of that picture, it is not paradise. In fact, it's a slippery slope away from his blessing and comfort and peace. Ezekiel's picture of hope beyond exile is only possible with God as shepherd. In the same way, God gives us hope beyond the frustration and sadness and pain of life in a sin-damaged world. Only with God as our shepherd. This presents a bit of a problem. 
and you might have picked this up on the way through. For the Israelites in exile, this message from God was comforting, but also a bit confusing. Like, God had promised David that his descendant would rule forever. And going back even further, I mean, God had promised that Abraham, um, that blessing would come to all nations through a descendant of his. Uh, It seems that now God has got rid of all human leaders and replaced them with himself. I mean, for sure he'll do a much better job. But what about his promises? Jump down to verse 23. I will place over them one shepherd My servant David, that means someone in his kingly line. And he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. Now, perhaps you're going straight to Jesus in your head, but but, but how can God be their shepherd and a Davidic king also be their shepherd if they had to have just one shepherd? The mass doesn't quite add up at that point, does it? Now let's go to Jesus. And hear his words in John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. Uh, That's referring to people of all the nations who are not Jews. And that's probably most, if not all of us. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. How many shepherds? Just one. So we've got God and Jesus. How's this working out? Well, some of the religious leaders argued with Jesus at this point because they knew that God was their true shepherd. They had the scriptures right in their heads, but listen to Jesus' response. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. Uh, the Pharisees' ears must have been just like exploding at this point. Um, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. You can see already Jesus is like my hand, the Father's hand, like we're holding on to them. And then he says this, I and the Father are one. That's astonishing. I and the Father are one, not two, one. Now, friends, we use the word Trinity to describe how the the Father, uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one God. And the word Trinity, you can read the whole Bible, be good to do, um, but you won't find the word Trinity at all. But the truth that it describes is all over the place in both the Old and New Testaments. And that's what we've got a little window in here in Ezekiel 34. Jesus is God, but he's also a descendant in the line of David. He is the one good shepherd of all God's people. And I think I have to ask you, is he your shepherd? Do you know him as your shepherd? Like Psalm 23, can you say, the Lord is my shepherd. Friends, all the threads of prophecy 
and all the promises of God come together and are fulfilled in Jesus. There simply is no other way to God. Personally, I take great comfort in the words of verse 16. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. It has not been an easy year for me. But God has been my refuge and my strength. Many times I have felt the comfort, the counsel and the empowering presence of God's Holy Spirit as I've travelled the journey of grief. Friends, the work of our good shepherd brings great comfort and deep delight to all who submit to his rule. But not all do. We've already seen God's decisive judgment against ruthless leaders over God's people. But in verses 17 to 22, God promises to deal with sinful behavior among God's people. As for you, my flock, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I will judge between one sheep and another. Uh, up to this point, we're kind of sitting comfortable, because, except for me, because God's finger's kind of pointing at leaders and, and in nations and, you know, Jerusalem, Israelites way back then. But, but now the finger of God is kind of pointing fairly square at every one of us in the room, isn't it? I'll judge between one sheep and another and between rams and goats. It is not enough for you to feed. So the rams and goats, not, not a, a four... Um, a hint of what Jesus said about dividing the sheep and the goats, just that most flocks had rams and goats, sheep, lambs, yeah, they're all in one flock. And he's basically saying here, no one's going to escape from God's judgment as he looks at the flock. It's not enough for you, is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of your pasture with your feet? Is it not enough for you to drink clear water? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? Must my flock feed on what you have trampled and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Now remember, this is not speaking to leaders now. This is the, the flock. This is a picture of behavior that is selfish and robs others of enjoying God's good provisions in life. Friends, we must not be greedy among one another with the time and, and resources of, of the church or, or take each other for granted. We must not muddy the water of Christian ministry and witness by sour attitudes, by gossip, or by poor behaviour that doesn't commend the gospel of Christ. We must, must not be pushy to get our own way, but rather consider others above ourselves. If God has blessed us personally with abundance, we must not hoard it for ourselves like Solomon did, but use what he has given to serve and to bless those around us. 1 Peter 4 says this, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So many different ways we can serve and bless one another. If anyone speaks, they should do as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. See, when our behavior clearly shows that Jesus is our shepherd, it brings him 
great praise in the eyes of a watching world. God continues in verse 20, Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says to them, See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you shove with flank and shoulder, butting all the weak sheep with your horns until you have driven them away, I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. The tragedy is, sometimes people leave the church because they've been treated so poorly by church members or or church leaders. And maybe that's been you at some point in your life. Maybe it's a struggle for you to be here today. Maybe that's you now watching on the live stream from the safety of your home, not because of COVID, but because you find it too hard to be here in the room because you've, you've been hurt. I'm glad, if that is you, that you still want some connection with God. And I want to say that God gives us hope no matter where we're at. God gives us hope. He loves us. He sees us and he knows our pain. And as this passage shows, he is a God of justice who deals with sin among his people. But I want us all to see that part of his healing work is to gather his people again, not just in glory, but here in this life, to gather his people again so that together we can grow and encourage one another in the love and forgiveness and reconciliation that God brings to us, treating one another with the compassion and grace that God has shown to each of us individually. Just this week, someone was courageous enough to share a hurt they were carrying, and it's been a privilege to begin to work through that and to see God's grace triumph over bitterness and division. Friends, let me, let me sum up. Into a desperate situation, Ezekiel spoke a message of rescue and return, of healing and hope beyond exile that would come when a divine descendant of David became shepherd of his people. Now, of course, we see that fulfilled in Jesus, who is one with the Father and who gave his life to make that rescue possible to save us from the bondage we have to sin and death. All who trust in him have the certain hope of everlasting life with him. And in this passage, we also see God's decisive dealing with sin in in both shepherds and sheep. And it's an urgent reminder to us all not to trust in our own goodness or achievements to bring us to God, but to turn wholeheartedly to Jesus Christ, our good shepherd and eternal saviour. Amen.